Welcome to episode number seven of the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host. Thank you for downloading this episode and joining me today. I'm so excited that my wheels have kept on trucking and you're listening to this episode. The Bandit would be proud. Help me reach my goal of being listed in iTunes, new and noteworthy, by giving this podcast a rating and a review and share with friends. You may submit feedback or request to be on the show through email, connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. My guest today on the Jackson Hole Connection is Clarine Law. Clarine has a fascinating story to tell with us. She is the successful business operator of four hotels in Jackson Hole. She has served our community with elegance and honor as a Wyoming House of Representative for 14 years and numerous other boards for the town, state, and national level. Clarine began as a bookkeeper in Jackson Hole until she had the opportunity to purchase her first hotel in 1962. Clarine will share with us today her road to success and how you cannot be successful alone. Before we begin, I have a quick word from one of my sponsors. Teton Motors, Jackson Hole's only locally owned and operated full-service dealership. Teton Motors has been serving the community of Jackson Hole for over 46 years. For Chevrolet sales and service, visit us at 1020 West Broadway. And for Subaru sales and service, visit us at 460 Powderhorn Lane. In a wreck? No problem. Teton Motors Collision Center at 925 Alpine Lane provides free estimates for all vehicle, make, and models. We look forward to seeing you and welcoming you into the Teton Motors family. Clarine, thank you for coming today. It's nice to see you. Thank you, Stefan. It's my pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about how you landed here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and then how did you progress from being a bookkeeper to an opportunity to own your own hotel? Well, my first husband was a school teacher, and he had the opportunity of coming to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, or Ledor, Idaho, as superintendent of schools. He selected being a guidance counselor at Jackson Wilson High School because accreditation had not happened yet, and it was uh, Jackson Wilson High School. And so we came here in 1959 on August 26th with a uh, one young daughter and a station wagon. And I had some typing skills, bookkeeping skills from high school. I really don't have a college education, a couple of years here and there. But I had gone to work at the high school to help with the accreditation process. And then um, he, he was still teaching there. And then we had um, someone from the Word Hotel came in and they said, we need somebody to type contracts there were only two attorneys around, Mr. Moody and this was Mr. Spaulding they brought in from Evanston. We need somebody to type and do inventory. So over to the Wirt I went. Those days it was the Wirt Brothers. They were selling out to Teton Motor Hotels Management Corporation. And so I did some inventory and I typed some contracts. It's hard to believe Jackson with Mr. Moody and Mr. Spaulding here, but that's kind of how it was. <laughs> And then I was uh, just working a bit at the Wirt Hotel and doing a little bit, bit of bookkeeping. And I uh, had one child, and then we had another little girl. And it was hard to lug those kids. We lived up here in the hills. We were living in a garage at one time. Housing wasn't easy in 1959 in Jackson Hole either. So uh, Moy Nethercott, who was 
running a property called the Antler Motel, which was 12 cabins in the old lodge, which are, the old lodge is still there. He came in on a particularly troublesome day where I had lugged a one-year-old down the hill through the ice and snow because the roads were poorly kept in. Yeah, she was born in 1960. And he came in and he said, uh, this was about 1961, he said, I'm going to put her on the block. And he and Irma decided that they did not want to be innkeepers any longer. A uh, number of factors, I've always thought the uh, earthquake happened, a little bit afraid of the earthquake, and and the competition, uh, Cedar Motel was being built right next to him, six little cabins, and anyway, took a big gulp and said, let me try. At that time that I had uh, gotten a LaSalle accounting course and learned what little bit I knew about double entry books, because the Wirt Hotel had asked me to be their bookkeeper when the other one departed. My tenure there wasn't terribly long, but it was very meaningful because it gave me my great love for the lodging business and the contact with people. So I said, let me try. And so we had about a few dollars saved. My parents were blue collar workers and they had a few dollars saved. My father-in-law was a physics professor at Idaho State and he had a few dollars. And family put together enough money to get $20,000 on a $125,000 purchase to buy the first 12 old cabins and the part that is still the antler, which is a, a lot. And uh, thus began a, a career that I've thoroughly enjoyed. Unfortunately, a divorce later followed, and I had those wonderful children that we have. I have three wonderful children. I have uh, Dr. Teresa Meadows, who's a French professor, University of Colorado at Colorado Springs. I have Cherise Meadows-Hawes, who is a lawyer and runs uh, Vice President of Elk Country Motels, runs Cowboy Village, and, and son Steve Meadows, who does uh, his manage of the 49er in and does marketing and, and also is a vice president. But. Uh, my point in life has always been that none of this would have been accomplished. I don't like to say that I accomplished any of this without my parents and the trust they had in a 27-year-old with the only $10,000 that they had to, they said, I can't give you the money, we'll be your partners. Grandpa Meadows, who was a wonderful man, that he was a physicist, and they weren't paid well being a college professor and the money he put in and a little bit of money we had. And it was a, a wonderful start because in those days I didn't have to go to the babysitter. I could uh, babysit the kids. Uh, by then I think Teresa was six and Sharice was less than two years old. And on May 7th, 1962, we uh, had incorporated, my brother was a lawyer, and we began our journey at the Antler Motel in Jackson, Wyoming. And it was on a narrow lot with 12 old cabins with 10 shower stalls and very little behind them and uh, a lot of problems with that old motel. And we got a start there and then across the street, the people who were instrumental in the Roundup and the um, ranch shops, her name was a wonderful woman named Skip Fisher. She was the old Pack family. And they had the property across the street from the Antler. And uh, there was an attorney here by the name of Dave Burns. And we just kind of, with a little sweat equity, began running that property. And 
were able to acquire enough dollars to buy in with the Fishers and later bought them out. And so we had those two corners. And it wasn't too long down the road when um, Mr. Ship and Cedar Motel, who uh, were intense competition in one way, he said uh, he was ready to go. And so we had a wonderful banker. Um, his name was Felix Buckenroth. I knew Felix Sr. And uh, they were able to help us. But along that way, we had acquired the property next to us where a service station existed. It was Antler Gulf. And we didn't own the station, and there was, were three lots right back of it, and we did not own either. But Premium Oil in Salt Lake was a very kind individual and allowed us to buy those things on time. But when it came time to create an income off that property, it required a loan to build the first 20 units. And it was very difficult to acquire loans. I went down to Jackson State Bank, and I had, uh, by then I think, had little Steve Meadows in my arms, and Mr. Buckenroth felt sorry for me, I think, but he said, V don't loan on no motels. <laughs> Uh-oh. V loan on cows. Well, but he put me in contact with a man named Norval Currents and Jackson F. King at Wyoming Bank in Casper. So up I went there with that baby, and they too felt sorry for me, I think. So then I had a contact with the SBA, Small Business Administration, which uh, had a program, Women in Business, and I was able to access that program and built the first 20 units. And, and that was concurrent with the ski area coming into existence. So it was kind of an exciting time to be in Jackson and to be part of progress and instead of afraid of progress. And so from then on, um, as the ski area came in and we became more of a year-round economy, we were able to continue to grow. And, and I had such wonderful people in my life because my total philosophy is I shouldn't be talking about this. They should be talking about the help they were able to give somebody who knew very little. And so Mr. Thompson was an old gentleman who, from Rock Springs that went to California in the winters, came back and stayed at the Antler. And pretty soon he said um, he had a lot of property here. And he said, uh, when would you like to buy it? I said, Mr. Thompson, I don't have anything. <laughs> well, he made it possible, along with Felix Buckenroth, Jr., to acquire the land where 49er is. And the wonderful Carnes family made it possible for us. And uh, to acquire that land where the, uh, they are in Cowboy Village was once their trader park. And, and along the way, I had married a wonderful man, Creed Law, and he was a builder, and we say it this way, he could build, and I knew how to get mortgages. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great partnership. Absolutely. And it's been how many years that you we've guys been are married? We've been married 45 years. Congratulations. We think it'll last. Yeah, I, I, I think you'll last. For, for many more years together. And that's a bit Indeed. disjointed because the progression is a little out of order. It really went from a short the tenure at the Wirt Hotel and learning double entry books by uh, a LaSalle accounting course to, to the Antler. And after the Antler acquisition uh, partnership across, across the street, and then the loan process and mm -hmm. discovering the SBA and some of the government loan programs. That uh, I'd write my own loans and <laughs> And uh, Jackson State Bank was, uh, oh, they had the programs where the bank contributed early in, early out. And then they had a, um, go from there to the 49er, from there on down. Uh, somewhere along the line, we acquired Al's Motel, 
when uh, wonderful people named Thorkelson came in and they said, we're tired of this stuff. And, and so Carl and Doris said, uh, we said, well, again, we don't have the down payment. And they said, I'll tell you what, it's May now, and you can run it, and you can ha you'll have enough money in the fall that you can give us a down payment then. And they walked away, and we walked into a little property we now call the Alpine Motel. It's a good little property, but then none of it's left except the original office because Creed was a builder. Mm -hmm. And we tore out little cabins that had not had a bathroom, but they'd been built on the back. You've seen those little cabins. Mm -hmm. And then another little property we have over at the Snow King Lodge, same thing. Murphy's walked in and said, we just can't do this anymore. Will you buy this? Same thing. They made it possible for us to buy it. I think it's a spectacular story how you talk about how the people who sold these properties, and they made it not easy, but they were gracious with the opportunity because they trusted you. They and did. They knew who you were, and a lot of this, was a lot of this done by handshake to begin with? And absolutely, then absolutely. There was another wonderful man in, my, in our business life, Tony Nikolai, and he had bought the Flag Ranch, and Tony Nikolai was a name that I revere. But anyway, he had a small business development company, and I'm sure that he was, had to have loans if he was going to have a small business development company, and uh, he... Uh, would loan us money before we actually had the paperwork done. And he just had a trust. He, he was a man that trusted us. And I think of, like I say, they should be talking about the people that helped along the way because these people did trust and help us because we could not have done those things, beginning with the my parents and the in-laws and then going on to the progression of possessions. But it was made possible by people in trust. And then talk about later progression. I really have not really been the one that just actively runs those businesses in the last few years. I was in the legislature. 1991, uh, after having bitten, written in on the ballot quite a few times, I decided that maybe I could do that. <laughs> People were writing your name in every year? Yeah, and the Secretary cycle. of State would call and say, do you, do, do you want to be on the ballot? And I said, heck no. <laughs> But anyway, eventually I did that, but you talk about people helping people. You know, Sharice, uh, Teresa uh, was on her way being a professor, but Sharice was a fine lawyer with Jones Day, Rivas and Pogue down in California, and her husband also, and uh, they came back to Jackson. Also Steve, who had just graduated from college and was headed on to college somewhere else, and came back to Jackson. And I think that my wonderful opponent in that first election was Leslie Peterson, fine, fine person. And it was so hard to find something bad to say about each other, and we couldn't, we didn't. It was the way political campaigns should be run today and are not. That would be nice for people to talk about the issue versus trying to make the other person look bad. And that's exactly what we did. Mm -hmm. But then I think that my winning streak happened because of my children. And, of course, the support I received from my family, particularly my m mother and dad and my husband. And But anyway, I just put an ad in the paper that said, our kids are coming home, and, and showed the support of the family. And and they're still there. And like I say, I, I uh, am so grateful for the uh, 
you know, the, the contribution that, that they make and the, the things that they've caused to happen. And going back to the your introduction, when you made the original purchase and the faith that your parents uh, had in you to provide the little bit of money they had, that was all that they had, and they provided it to you to make that purchase. They had the faith in that you could you could make it work. Well, you'd have to know how I was raised. <clears throat> um, my father followed road construction. He didn't own the company. And... Um, when he moved out of Twin Falls, Idaho, in the spring, we had to leave school. And you know, when he moved out for the summer, sometimes school wasn't out, so we had a short tenure at some school and one-room school in a place like Salmon, Idaho, uh, Birch Creek, Idaho. Uh, I can think of all these different locations. And we would then spend the summer out there, and off time school would start. These little places I remember starting school at Potlatch, Idaho. I remember walking down a little dirt lane to a one-room school. I still remember the songs. I remember Dick and Jane. But then we'd just get established in that school. We'd have to move back to Twin Falls again. So sometimes we moved, had three schools in the same year, you know. It was a little bit hard, and I think that it kind of gave them the confidence that I could do that. And then in the summer, we didn't clean motel rooms. We'd never heard of that. There probably weren't any motels. Worked in the fields, stoop labor. Well, when I turned 60, they did a surprise party up here at Smoking. And my favorite uncle, Uncle Sam, Samuel Floyd, came in his dress clothes, which was at that time, farmers wore bib overalls, and they wore the suit jacket, so he was dressed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he said it best. He said... He brought me my short-handled hoe and a little spud-picking thing that you used to hook on and drag those burlap sacks until you filled one and drop it off and go fill another one. He said, well, he's trying to think of something nice to say about his niece who adored him. He said, well, you weren't the fastest spud-picker, but you were the best because you came the earliest and you stayed the latest. Well, I think that's what my parents knew about me. It wasn't anything that I knew. It was my steadfastness that I would, when I was committed, I would do it. Well said. And your uncle had a way with words, for sure. And what a great compliment to say that you had the steadfastness to do whatever was presented to you. I think I think that was it. But, you know, I... I feel kind of awkward when I talk about myself because there's no such thing as myself in this journey. Well, there's I, I feel like for anyone who has a success story that it's not just one person. Mm-hmm. It takes two people to have a successful marriage. Mm-hmm. It takes many people to run successful businesses. But it, in the end, it takes a leader mm-hmm. to enable and provide the people to be successful. That's true. And the right environment. And mm-hmm. I feel over the years, wow. you provided the right environment for those people to be successful for you. Well, we were here at the right time. Can you think of Jackson those days, how exciting it was? Tell us a little bit about what well, Jackson you know, was like back then. You know, 1959, you know, these ranchers were still out on the ranches, and they had discovering that it was much more profitable to come to town, but that wasn't the only reason. John D. Rockefeller, who had come to town under the guise of Snake River Land Company, and he bought most of those lands up there, you know, in Kelly and up north. 
and ranchers, you know, they had lifetime estates or they had some arrangement where they were moving to town. I still remember the Moltons, Marthy Moulton, an apartment she was creating, and she was a wonderful farm lady, and she was up there on a ladder in her overalls and, and doing some sort of, she, these, were, these were tough women. They weren't, they were just pieces of fluff, I often say. They, they, they were people who contributed with their husband. You talk about equalization, there was equalization with women and men. They both worked equally hard. Mm-hmm. You know, they were coming to town, and they, their stories were, I wish I had told their stories better. I wish I had recorded them better. But they, they were coming to town like, I can think of a wonderful woman, Hattie May. You see May Park down there where they have the farmers um, where you can do your farming. And mm-hmm. Those people were coming to town, and they were here. And they were people that were accepting of, of newcomers. They'd had an influx of people that were here earlier with wealth. But they also had a, a great desire to welcome people. It's very welcoming. I remember being at... Uh, at church and being welcomed, so saying, hey, you can come live in our basement. It was a Beasley family. And uh, finding just some, you know, we moved to some of the awful places, you know, just trying to find a home in that place. And the first home we ever had was, of course, the Antler, when we lived in the back rooms there until the kids were fully grown, just about. Okay. <laughs> but the magic of Jackson was that they were beginning to grow, and there were people that they were wanted to be obstructionless, but, it, you know, you entered people like in, in the 60s when the Clatterbar Ranch was for sale, which is the Jackson Hole ski area now. And you remember the flirtation, if you will, they had with Jackson Peak instead when they were thinking about doing the ski area out there. And, and the uh, water was taken from up there at that time, and there was a power, just you know, one-time power plant up there. But it was a metamorphosis for the whole community, and people were coming to town, but they were welcoming. There were those who welcomed change. But the illustration being when McAllister and Morley came to town on the, about the Clatterbaugh Ranch, great deal of suspicion, great deal. Of, they felt that they would be bypassed in this little town and taken over by the village. Well, quite the opposite happened because it created more of a winter economy. And then they... Uh, actually learned to appreciate, but I embraced the idea from the beginning because I could see that, you know, I wouldn't be able to put a sign gone fishing and ready to go fishing on mm-hmm. Labor Day like I used to. Tell the listeners what you mean by once when the village was started that there became a wintertime economy. You know, books like Don Huff's book, The Cocktail Hour in Jackson Hole, you know, he's writing about the off-season, and it was the off-season. There, you couldn't make a nickel. You closed down virtually. You'd had a few people come for your, I think the antler rooms were, when I first took over those little rooms were $8. They went to 16 and you know what they are today. <laughs> but the thing about it, it was a time of change. And people were resisting change, just like they are today. Mm-hmm. And I could go off on a political jag about how I support the lodging tax and will if you'd like me to. No, we won't get into politics today. <laughs> I, I, I think it's uh, <laughs> what's intriguing is to know that when, when it was winter and you first bought the hotel, were you open during the winter or did you, you just know, close I it just, down? You know, you can't change signs very readily in Jackson because they have those big neon signs uh-huh. and they're ugly. One of them's ugly. The other one out on Cash Street I kind of like. But I used to, until just recently, I had a sign that said, open year-round and telephones. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's how it was. 
and you had very little winter business. You had the Forest Service, you had the school district, you had the ranchers, you had the bars, and you had a good dude ranching business, and we had a wonderful hunting season. The hunting season did extend our seasons. We had most every outfitter in the valley that worked with us. We still have a lot of wonderful hunters that come. But it was a close down. Literally, I would put a sign up, and there was a time of neighbors. You know, I remember taking the keys, if I had a reservation or two, all handwritten reservations. It's hard to believe how we did things in those days. And so I would literally give the keys to my neighbor, the Crances, who had the Cedar Motel at that time, and I'd say, would you give these keys out? And I'd put a note on the door, and off I'd go down. I have a favorite spot to fish on the Snake River where the Hoback comes in. I won't reveal exactly where because it's still a favorite spot. <laughs> and take the children, and I'd usually the river was low by then, and I'd wade out there and once I dropped one in the river, but and put them on a sandbar and cast up into that whirlpool and catch fish. But those days, you know, went by. But that's what it was like. And that wonderful book, The Cocktail Hour in Jackson Hole, kind of tells the story. I'll have to look that book up. I have not. There's an article seen it called yet. The Cabin, and it may have been written in that cabin. The Elmer Cabin was brought in from the Elk Refuge at the time. They, I imagine, when the Isaac Walton League or whatever they did, and a lot of those cabins were burned. But that particular cabin that sits at 43 West Pearl. It was built over the top before our time, and I still leave the log. It's all we have for an office is that log cabin inside. Hmm. It's spectacular. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with change also brings, you know, some confusion because people have opinions, and this is a very opinionated com- uh, community. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think everybody has, um, every community is going to have opinions. I think what's important is that each side that has an opinion that you can listen to mm-hmm. both sides and still have a conversation where you respect each other mm-hmm. and understand both sides will never get everything that they want. They are good legislation is always the art of compromise. Compromise is so important. And a good so community important. player is also the art of compromise. That's right. And, you know, when you serve in some of these boards, some of these community functions, then you realize you get to know the people, the wonderful people, and people are good. You always know that people are good and contributing because they're on the same mission you are. And that's where I've gained a lot of the base that I, I love this community. It's because I know people, and I know the hearts, and I know what they've contributed to make my life what it is today, and it ain't just me. Well, well said, Clarine. Well said. So when you were in the state legislature, you were in the House of Representatives, correct? I was. And what role did you hold in the House of Representatives? I was chairman of travel, recreation, and wildlife. And uh, I was able to get the support of Senator Hank Cole, among others, and uh, get the cultural trust who had no, the arts had no ad- advocacy. And so our committee became travel, recreation, wildlife, and cultural resources, as it is today. And I had done that for a few years when the Speaker of the House called and said, would you please chair minerals? I thought, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> this is Teton County. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I did. And it was also minerals business and economic development. By then, I had served on the Provident Federal Savings and Loan Board out of Casper 
And I served, I'm serving on the Jackson State Bank Board in the wonderful, wonderful legacy of the Scarlets and the things that I learned there. Anyway, I knew quite a bit about banking, and can you imagine what the community taught me? There's no reason I wouldn't know anything about banking had I not done that. But anyway, I served as that chairmanship till I retired in 2004. I came home, I thought I'd better solve some of my own problems instead of the state's problems. I'd been there 14 years. Along the way, I uh, was fortunate enough to be on the first business council, which I thought was a wonderful piece of legislation that was under Jim Geringer, a Republican governor. I was off one year, and I had a call from the new governor, a Democrat, Dave Friedenthal, who said, asked me to go back to the business council. And uh, I said, I can't go back. It's term limited. He said, what says? You've been off a year. You can go back. So anyway, I served two terms on the Wine Business Council. Also during my tenure, I served as a bank commissioner, which is pretty wonderful contacts throughout the state. So, the, the, you know, you can become a citizen of not just Jackson Hole, but of Wyoming. And I think that the representation we had here those years under people I knew, Bob Lalonde, of course, and Bubba Shivler, and the marvelous statement that Grant Larson is and was, it, it, was, it was a miraculous time. And chairman with uh, Hank Coe and Delaine Roberts, and I'm just trying to think of all the wonderful people that I networked with, and I uh, think a great part of my life. Well, thank you for your contributions, not just to the community of Jackson Hole and Teton County, but on the state level and, and a national level as well. And if if I hear any message from you, um, one of the one message is you learned so much by giving back and making yourself available to the community because then you were asked to participate to help the community be vibrant and to be viable. And Mm -hmm. that was, and it it needed to be vibrant and viable Mm -hmm. to survive in here. And I was just one of many that did that. Yes, Mm -hmm. you were one of many, and it Mm -hmm. takes many to accomplish uh, I've always to said accomplish things. I'm the most organized, disorganized person you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think if you look at my office, you can tell I'm a little disorganized. <laughs> I, I have a little bit that I need to clean up, um, which I'm working on. <laughs> always a work in progress. I've always been so happy being here in Jackson, and I've always been so grateful. I think in 1978, I was a small business person of the year for the SBA, and and my help wrote a little book about me, which I keep by my desk. And the back page, they let me write, and it said, success, what is success? And I just took a picture of Snow King Mountain. I said, who could buy a mountain to put behind a motel? But success is location, 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 of course. But success is really how it makes you feel when you operate that business. Otherwise, it's a terrible task to go to work every day. It's been a wonderful I think my family and I have felt that it's a wonderful privilege to be able to serve and go to work. My children also like to serve. My husband. I I appreciate your words of of, uh, wisdom there. So this is what you need to do. Have confidence in your own kids. Have confidence in your community and the members because that helps them to have confidence too. Well said. And I think even in today's world, if people can build their own confidence, they will see greater success. I believe that. And and happiness. And, mm-hmm. and, and the success will be defined by themselves 
and what they see as success. Don't worry about what the rest of the world defines and sees success as. Be comfortable with yourself. You say it well. My mom always said the greatest gift in life is the gift of contentment. I like that. We'll put that one down for the books. <laughs> we'll definitely put that one down for the books. So, Clarine, to to look back at your success in life, it's it's been a struggle. It's been a hard road. It has it didn't happen overnight like what a lot of people see in today's news, or at least they interpret in today's news. But you've learned so much through all of your different stages in life. If there is one little nugget that you could share with some people today for them to move forward in life with happiness and great success, what would that be? Make yourself worthy to believe in yourself and believe in the strengths and goodness of others. Okay. Make yourself worthy to believe in yourself and look at the strengths of others. I like that. Thank you. That's how I feel, you know. I, the scripture that backs up, you know, to love the Lord thy God with all thy might and to love your neighbor as yourself. So you need to make yourself worthy of being able to create a platform to help others. Do you still go to church? I do. Okay, every Sunday? I do. Oh, excellent. And I still do things in community. I've given up most, most boards, but I still do a S-Corporation board. It's uh, based in Washington, D.C. It's about tax policy for pass-through businesses. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they are treated like, more like C-Corps mm-hmm. with parity. I look forward to learning more about that because I love learning about business structure. And as I've purchased a few businesses and investigated the different ways to structure the business, the more that I can learn from somebody like you or those types of organizations, uh, the more knowledgeable and stronger of a business person I can be. That's how you learn. You're learning right now, and I'm learning. And life is a long, long learning experience, and I'm grateful. You know, I think you're going to interview a friend of mine here very shortly, and, and that family also played a large part in our success and believing in us. And that's the Carnes family. Yes, I will be interviewing one of the Carnes family, which are some of the original homesteaders mm-hmm. here in, in the valley. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to hear some pretty funny stories mm-hmm. about the Carnes family. What was one of the toughest winters that you experienced here in the valley, and, and why is it? I'm sorry to not remember the exact date. The winter got 62 below zero, and I learned a lot about human behavior. There were those, it was in the middle of the night that my little daughter came, Sharice came running in and said, Mom, this is something terribly wrong, it's softly cold. You know, she'd gone to sleep out by the fireplace, of course, and the draft was coming down, but it was over 60 below zero. Well, I had a big old crisis station wagon, I got going, and I kept it going because fuel would turn, you know, it just wouldn't run, particularly diesels. How I learned a lot about behavior that day is that People that couldn't make a car run were out there building fires, and we had fireplaces in the rooms. They were using our wood and burning. One even burned some furniture. They put it under the pan. One ignited his car. <laughs> one, <laughs> one went down to the cable TV was down at the end of Broadway at that time, and they, you know, there wasn't a cable because it was so cold the coal axe actually snapped. And down there pounding on the door. And, Angry with us because there was no TV when I thought their life was being threatened. <laughs> we had uh, we had pipe break and 
Casper ski team was staying there and they helped us with getting, we were full, we had to get new carpet in, we had to get the pipe fixed, all the people that helped us those days. But that was really that the toughest business time. Other times there were tough economic times. But the physical plant, when that frost happened, that was a terrible siege. Negative 62. Yes. You Holy could, smokes. What did it feel like when you went outside? Well, we didn't go, you know, I was kept running that car and I ran people around in that car because I kept it going all the time. But, you know, people people could not even open their doors on their car. People pounded their car door so hard they bent their car. Oh, Lord. That, like, I really <laughs> did learn a lot about how people act under stress at that time. How many, how many days was it negative 62? I don't think it was very many, maybe two. Okay. But it was cold. That's a long two days. No, it was, it was very frightening because it was life-threatening, actually. Certainly, mm-hmm. certainly. And I'm sure people were mm-hmm. living with other folks who yes. had the proper heat. And yeah, they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of goodness and a lot of silliness that happened that day. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And were you still able to put gas back in your car? Were the pumps running that you— uh, Some were, some were, of okay. course. Uh, fuel oil congeals, you know, and so people are largely dependent on fuel oil. We had uh, those fireplaces are more for decor than they were for actual heat, but we sure kept those going and kept most of our pipes okay. Oof, negative 62. But, you know, there were, there were fiscal plant problems, and then, of course, people. there were times when, when we didn't have enough money, and it was pretty hard to figure out how much money you were going to have, and I had SBA loans where they limited my income, and so we certainly... You know, you think of, I think of my family raised, really, the office was really the office and the front room, a little kitchen and a bedroom, and that's how those kids were raised. And I'd smack them if they were, if they came out and <laughs> were talking when I wanted to talk. <laughs> okay. Somebody who used to watch us as kids, her name was Florida Jones, and her saying was, a hard head makes a soft tail. <laughs> <laughs> And she was right, oh. and there was one time my brother and sister and I were visiting with Florida, and my brother said, Florida, who misbehaved the most? And she looked over and said, Stefan. I was like, what? No way. <laughs> I bet you did. You look like the mischievous type. Oh, yes. I'm very mischievous. <laughs> probably was back then, and I she probably had me cut, go cut my own switch at times, <laughs> which I probably did. I wasn't going to mess with Florida Jones. Well... Yeah. We all have wonderful stories, don't we? Each life. We do. And that's why I have the Jackson Hole connection so I can share my stories and also learn other people's stories. Mm-hmm. And there's so much to learn out there. And as you have stated so well, you learn by being a part of a community and being involved and giving back to the community and you can learn so much. You you didn't know anything about bookkeeping. You took a a class via mail. That's right. Of how to do bookkeeping. Ralph Gill taught me. He was a local accountant, you know, like the Gill family, the Porter Estate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wonderful people in my life that took time to teach me because I was willing, because I wasn't the best bud picker. I just stayed the longest. Mm-hmm. I feel that you've also taught us <coughs> another little nugget of learning experience here, and that is to share information and your knowledge with other people. And by bringing up other people, you can make yourself stronger. It's true. And, yeah. Well, Clary, this has been absolutely special talking to you today. Well, thank you, Stefan. Special for me and 
glad to share my story such as it is. Okay. I, I really appreciate it, and I look forward to keeping our connection together. Uh, and I'll look forward to watching this bit of ridiculousness. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Thank you, Clarine. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Stephen. You bet. Teton Motors is proud to have been a thread of the fabric of the Jackson Hole community for 46 years. Stop in and enjoy the difference of working with our team as we strive to provide the best possible sales and service experience. Teton Motors, we're driven by our customers. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today to the Jackson Hole Connection. I hope you have enjoyed listening and can take away a little nugget about life. I'm always looking for fun guests who have a connection to Jackson Hole. Know of someone who would be great to be on the show? Please send me an email to connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. A special shout out to my friend Luke Taylor for producing and providing the tunes for this podcast. Y'all come back again. You hear?